It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. It's a Wednesday edition of Locked On Heat on today's show. The Heat and the Sixers are tied going into game three. We'll talk about who has the edge as the series heads to Miami. We'll talk about what went right in Game 2 and how Hassan Whiteside can get back on the court in Game 3. Thank you for listening, for subscribing. Now let's get to the show. You are Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, let's do this. Welcome to Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. My name is Wes Goldberg. I'm a credentialed writer covering the NBA for the Step Back, and I write for the Miami Heat's Tip-Off magazine. You can find me on Twitter at WC Goldberg. And I'm David Ramillo, credentialed NBA writer. is covering the Heat for SB Nation and allyoucanheat.com. I cover the league at large for fan-sided, and you can follow me and my writing on Twitter at dramill13. The Heat and the Sixers split in Philly. Now the series goes back to Miami. It's been an interesting series, not only because of the cross matches and the X's and O's, David, but because... It seems like the way both teams won is unsustainable. The Sixers couldn't miss from three-point range in Game 1. D-Wade took over in Game 2. But neither team could expect to repeat those performances. So, David, I ask you, who does it feel like has the edge heading into Game 3? I'd have to be honest with you and say Miami. I know there's probably a, a smattering of homerism mixed into that opinion. But the reality is Miami has played so much better at home than they have on the road that the fact that they were able to escape Philadelphia with at least one win really does speak highly of that performance uh, from Dwayne Wade and uh, from the Heat in general. So I think the edge kind of moves slightly. I'd give the edge slightly to Miami at this point because I think they'll be rallying behind Wade's incredible performance. They'll have the home crown behind them. There's something about seeing the America Airlines Arena crowd all in white, and I think that's going to be somewhat inspirational. Not to say that Miami hasn't lost at home before in the past, of course, but I think you know Philadelphia seemed like they were so buoyed by their the Philadelphia home crowd that I, I think without that there, it's they're not going to be able to sustain the kind of performances that we saw in game one and through parts of game two. So I'd have to say that Miami gets that edge, but that could all change too. Of course, with Joel Embiid's status still up in the air, the latest being that he's not quite sure that he practiced with a team, but that we're not very sure whether or not he's going to be available on Thursday for game three. That could tilt things back in Philadelphia's favor. You know, I, I wish I was as optimistic as you were. Speaking of the home crowd, by the way, I mean, the Heat the Heat fans might also start chanting Hassan Whiteside sucks. Uh, there's equal chances of that happening as it did in Philly. But um, look. I don't think so. I don't think so. Yeah, I think I'm, Miami fans I'm, that go to those games appreciate they like Hassan Whiteside. Yeah, I think they love Hassan Whiteside more than the those few on the basketball on, on basketball Twitter or those that listen to our show, the ones that are really in the know and, and, and kind of suspect whether or not Whiteside might be hurting the team. Maybe I'll make the trip and just start chanting. Um, <laughs> look, it, my concern with this going back to game three or this this game three going back to Miami is um, if, if things go back to closer to their season averages for both teams and Dwayne Wade's not going to score – uh, 28 points, and the 76ers aren't going to shoot 19% from three-point range. And if Wade's aver- if Wade comes back down to maybe 15 points a game, 
and the Sixers go back up to shooting between 35 and 40% from three-point range, then the Sixers win the game if everything else is equal, right? Mm-hmm. And and that concerns me. And I think Miami figured out a lot of things and how to play the Sixers, but I, I won't go as far as to say is that they solved the Sixers, right? Absolutely not. I, yeah. you, you, you look at what Ben Simmons was able to do. He still had a near triple-double, 24 points, nine rebounds, eight assists. They made things difficult for him. They made things tough for him, but... The Sixers still scored uh, 61 points in the second half. It's not like Miami solved anything here. And if Philadelphia hits a few more three-pointers, they could have just as easily taken that game. Now, you're right. Going back to Miami, the Heat are much better playing at American Airlines Arena. You hope that that plays into their favor. I I still feel like Philadelphia has executed better uh, for most, most of the game, though. I think the Heat certainly executed better at the end of the game. Uh, of game two, but it still feels to me like the 76ers because of the talent gap there have the edge. And I just, I can't get there with you. I can't be that optimistic yet. Yeah. I I mean, I might be dead wrong about that to be honest with you. I mean, I I'm not expecting Wade's heroics in game three, but I think the offset of that is that, you know, he's going to be drawing more attention now because I think everybody's kind of still a little shell shocked from what happened in game two on on Philadelphia's side. So he might be able to create plays for others um, because, you know, he was mostly looking to score in game two. So as a playmaker, maybe he can get other guys going. Maybe we could get a bounce back game from Hassan Whiteside. We still haven't seen strong performances from Wayne Ellington. And although Goran Dragic did have a decent game too, it wasn't the kind of performance that we can expect from him. He could play better. And there are others throughout the roster that need to have bigger games as well. So I think those players have the opportunity to step up at home. I mean, for everything that James Johnson has done defensively, he hasn't really scored in bunches either. Uh, And I think Josh Richardson has been okay he certainly was much more efficient in game two but we're still you know we're still lacking those big games from those kinds of players and I think they have that opportunity to step up in game three I I don't know maybe I am being too optimistic but that's my feeling going into it. I, I'd say Miami wins the third game and then Philadelphia might find a way to, to bounce back in game four especially if Embiid returns on, on that on that night well you know that that I think that's a good prediction is that they split the series um, and that I think would be Miami's, I'm not going to say best case scenario. I just, I don't see them winning both games at home. I, I, again, I just think Philadelphia is too talented, but you make a really good point that, yeah, maybe Dwayne Wade's not going to do what Dwayne Wade did on the road in game two and what kind of amounts to a must win game at that point. Right. Considering right. how Philadelphia just, just, uh, blow, blew him out in game one, but you know, maybe the role players step up. You look at those guys that stepped up for Philadelphia, namely Marco Bellinelli and Irsan Ilyasova. Those are role players. And and as they say, role players typically step up at home. They don't perform necessarily as well on the road. Look at a guy like Tyler Johnson, who at this point, even though he's about to make $19 million as a role player, he scored five points in, nine, uh, five points in game two, nine points in game one. Justice Winslow had scored 11 points combined for the first two games. Wayne Ellington, you mentioned him, only 17 points combined in the first two games. So, you know, you hope that you can get a better performance out of those guys. And maybe that does offset a little bit about uh, of not necessarily getting a vintage flash kind of game there. Um, mm-hmm. So that, that's a good point. I, I do. I do think that this ends up getting split and goes back to game five tied uh, at goes back to Philadelphia tied for two two at two two going into game five. Um, I think the key here will be. The coaching, right? And if Miami can start to figure it out, they they are starting to figure it out uh, how to defend Ben Simmons. Everything can change if Joel Embiid returns to the lineup for the 76ers. Uh, 
but it, it'll be interesting to see if they can. Right now, you know, Brett Brown took game one, Spolstra took game two. If Spolstra could start to get the edge in the coaching matchup, that's one other thing that Miami could sort of put in their corner as far as an advantage goes. But, um, you know, they're, they're fortunate that that game three is on Thursday. I think that favors Spolstra, right? In a weird way, you know, the Heat coming off of a win, I, I, the, the coaching adjustments in the playoffs usually favor the team that lost. But given this large break and given that it's at home, I think the coach, I think that longer break favors Spolstra. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think given his experience and his ability to understand the the dynamics of the series, I, I think he's had more experience. Look, for all, look, Brett Brown hasn't exactly been out coached either. He certainly showed that in game one. Um, I'd give the slight edge to, to Spolstra given his game two performance. But I think Brown has, has handled himself pretty well. Uh, but I still think Spolster probably can pull out something that we haven't seen before. I, you know, I was just thinking as you were talking there about the Embiid return, and maybe it's something we should save later. But what if Miami goes ultra small? Like we're thinking that with Embiid. Let's save back- it for later. Let's save it for later. Okay. Right, I, love, I love where you're going, but let's save it for later. We got it. We got to give the listeners something to look forward to. Um, we'll go to Twitter and answer some of the questions that you sent in using the hashtag AskLOHeat from uh, uh, Monday Night's Win after this quick break. The playoffs are here, and just like the Miami Heat, it's time to step up your game. If you run a company and you're unhappy with the results from traditional advertising online or in print, make a big-time adjustment by advertising with us here on Locked on Heat. We've already got national brands advertising on the show, but it's also a great opportunity for South Florida businesses to connect with local Heat fans. You've heard about the studies already, how podcast listeners are 65% more likely to engage with advertisers, and how the number of people listening to podcasts continue to grow every year, heck, every month. Be ahead of the curve and start advertising on a podcast with us here at Locked on Heat. You have nothing to lose by reaching out, and our rates are reasonable, and they're based on the number of listens, so it's an efficient use of your time and your money. For more information on next steps, email us at LockedOnHeat at gmail.com. That's LockedOnHeat at gmail.com, and we could be talking about your company right here on the show. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked on NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late-season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up-to-date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Let's go to Twitter and take some of the questions that you sent in using hashtag AskLOHeat. We'll start with this one from Marcus, who asks via our Patreon page at patreon.com slash LockdownHeat. Does D-Wade have to start now? I mean, it's it's worth asking after Dwayne Wade's big performance, especially when you compare that to Tyler Johnson, who did not have a big performance in either of the first two games. Do you think that it's time that Dwayne Wade starts in this series? Is his veteran leadership that important? I, I think we're all kind of uh, feeling the afterglow of a special performance from Wade. But at the same time, I think at 36, expecting him to come in there, be as productive on offense, and then more importantly, I think, match up defensively with guys like uh, J.J. Redick, I, I think is asking way too much of him. So I would not think that Wade starting is a realistic option. If nothing else, Tyler's able to contribute uh, defensively. You know, obviously Reddick's had some big games. He struggled a little bit in game two. And although I don't think that was Tyler's influence so much as just Reddick missing shots that he knocked down in game one, I'd still like 
uh, Johnson's ability to match up with Reddick a whole heck of a lot more than Wade's at this point in their careers. Tyler Johnson played one less minute than Hassan Whiteside. That that's how ineffective he was in game two, and uh, he's not shot well. I think that he's been fine defensively, but he's not been at, he's not been as good as as expected, and he's not even he wasn't even as good as Rodney Magruder in that second game. Magruder only played that's five minutes, point. but I thought he I thought he was better uh, coming around screens and, and and fighting through the things that the Sixers were trying to do. That said, going back to that point you made in in the first segment, that. Role players tend to play better at home, and I I don't think you can yank Tyler just yet. I think you got to see what he can do to start Game Three, and if he can if he can hit a few jumpers, uh, hopefully three pointers. If he could play defense a little bit more effectively and start crowding those passing lanes, maybe get a few steals or deflections or or those those quote unquote winning plays that Spo likes to talk about. Yeah. Then I think you've got something there, and you could start to work work him back in, and maybe he gets his confidence back, and he could start scoring a little bit more for you because I still think that you know. The the five on five as far as the starters go, Miami's only real advantage there is that JJ Redick uh, uh, defender, and whoever is being guarded by Redick might have an opportunity to go ahead and score. Tyler Johnson's not been able to capitalize on that yet, uh, and I wonder if he'll be able to do that when the series goes back to Miami. They've got to suppose got to see if he could do it, but if not, look, I've got a quick. I, I would have a short leash on on Tyler Johnson if I'm being honest. I mean, if if he can't contribute, this is. This is the playoffs, man, and I know that he's been a starter for a long time this this season, that he is, for better or worse, a part of Miami's future because they're not trading that contract. I mean, that's not going anywhere. So for better or worse, he's part of the future, but he, it's the playoffs, and the Heat have – it's tied 1-1. The Heat have an opportunity to go ahead and win uh, and upset the Sixers in this, in this first round. You can't dilly-dally. You can't mess around with Tyler Johnson and worry about whether or not he's in the rotation or out of the rotation or, or ruining his confidence or whatever. If he's ineffective, I'm, I'd am seriously consider starting somebody else, but not Dwayne Wade. I think okay. Dwayne Wade has to continue coming off the bench. I would consider starting either Rodney Magruder for defensive purposes or Wayne Ellington if it feels like Miami just needs a little bit more juice offensively to start those games. You, you've beat the Wayne Ellington as a starter drum a few times throughout the course of the season. And honestly, I, I, as much as I think Ellington's improved his defense as part of Miami's roster over the last couple of seasons, I just don't know that he matches up well. Like, I mean, he's a mirror image of what Reddick does on offense for Philadelphia. But defensively, I don't know that Ellington can match that. Yeah, and I I'd think, rather do Magruder if I'm – I'd rather have Magruder start. I agree. I, mean, I, would, I would give – if it doesn't look like Tyler Johnson's got the juice in this series – Give Roddy Magruder those minutes and put Tyler Johnson on the bench. I mean, I you don't I, zero minutes for Tyler Johnson and give fifteen to twenty minutes to Magruder. I mean, that might be what it takes. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm optimistic that we'll get a Tyler Johnson game. He he does have those moments occasionally, and I think you're right about the home court providing some kind of inspiration for a guy like him. Um, you know, he does work so hard and he is trying at three for 10. That doesn't seem quite in line with his, his season numbers. I mean, he's shooting badly, but I think he'll, he'll find a way to kind of pull beyond that and, and have a bigger, better game. Uh, I, I would expect that to happen at some point while they're at, the, at American Lions arena. All right, let's answer this last uh, Twitter question quickly. Jonathan asks, is justice Winslow our starting point guard of next season or beyond? He looked pretty good going toe to toe with Ben Simmons. Do you think that Winslow's future is the starting point guard of the Heat, David? Not anytime soon. Not with Goran Dragic still with two years left on his contract. Uh, you know, I think Goran 
is aging, obviously, and he's not as effective as he might have once been, but he's still a very good player. I think he's able to control the pace of the game a little bit more to Miami's strengths. And as much as I like Winslow being able to provide some playmaking, I like his role off the bench for that. I, I mean, I think there are times maybe where you can use him as a starter, uh, but I don't think as a starting point guard is the right place for him just yet. Although I know you've talked about and you kind of think that maybe Goran Dragic would be better suited in an off-ball position, and that might you know that might allow Justice Winslow to to have a space there in the starting lineup. I like having the best of both worlds. Uh, look, I think Justice Winslow hopefully would be a starter next year. I do think that eventually he needs to work his way into that starting lineup. Um, that would be the best case scenario for him. But look at what the Warriors do. I mean, Steph Curry is obviously their their primary ball handler, the guy that gets initiates the most action for them. But he's also plays off the ball quite often, and especially when he's in lineups with Draymond Green, who leads the Warriors in assists, oftentimes will facilitate the offense and get guys in, into into their motions. And because of that versatility, because he's able to bring the ball up and is oftentimes guarded by other big men or forwards, it just creates a great mismatch. And I like that combination. I like Dragic's willingness to play off the ball, but overall being the primary ball handler. But in certain situations, Justice Winslow brings the ball up. I wouldn't be surprised if there were there was a point in the near future where Justice Winslow and Goran Dragic have averaged nearly the same amount of assists per game. Uh, if Winslow is able to work himself in the starting lineup, that is. I think that's the best case scenario. I like Winslow in that position, not being relied on as a primary ball handler, but kind of like a bonus, something that can act as a mismatch for them. Yes, he did. He he does look good bringing the ball up. He does initiate action well, but I just I think that if you make him the starting point guard, he doesn't have the height of Ben Simmons. He doesn't have the 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 court to court or you know the one end of the court to the other dominance that Ben Simmons does as far as just overall athleticism and talent so Ben Simmons can be your lead point guard for 48 minutes in a game I don't think Winslow is quite there but I think Winslow can play that role for a few minutes a game and for a few possessions a game and I like just having that option but overall I think the Heat need a starting point guard a real like a traditional point guard in the absence of a Ben Simmons or a LeBron James or a Giannis type of freakish point guard and that's yeah. Goran Dragic. He does a nice job doing that. And again, going back to Dragic's willingness to play off the ball that he showed last season with Deion Waiters and in Phoenix for one season with Eric Bledsoe. He's, he doesn't need the ball all the time, and I think that pairs nicely with Winslow. Um, well, that I mean, that's an interesting – you've just brought up an interesting name there, Dion. We're, we're kind of plotting ahead as to what can happen next year, but we don't <laughs> – we're definitely not sure what this roster is going to look like. Dion might be a prominent part of it. He might not. Hassan Whiteside might not be there. And if that's the case, who they acquire in return for him. So that could change who might be the potential starter. But I, I see your point as far as uh, what Winslow, where, where he might be most effective as a playmaker. Speaking of coming back to the starting lineup, David, uh, Joel Embiid may or may not do that Thursday for the Sixers. But Hassan Whiteside has been a starter nominally, if only. And so, but hasn't played a whole lot this series. We'll see if uh, he can get on the court for some, some uh, substantial minutes. We'll tell you what he has to do to be more effective in game three when we come back after this break. Before we move on with the show, we want to take a quick break and tell you about our Patreon page. You can find it by going to patreon.com slash locked on heat. And we are humbly asking for people to commit to a monthly pledge to help us continue to improve the quality of the show. Thanks to you who have already supported the podcast. We have quickly reached our initial funding goal that allowed us to purchase software that improved the quality of the podcast. 
But we aren't just stopping there. We've added a new tier of supporters. For $5 a month, you'll get access to a bunch of goodies, including salary cap and depth chart projections, free agency player rankings by position, a running list of our favorite trade ideas, and whatever else we can think of. Just go to patreon.com slash locked on heat to get started. Again, that's patreon.com slash locked on heat. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash locked on heat. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and locked on NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So there's a big story here about Hassan Whiteside's lack of playing time and when he is on the court, his lack of effectiveness. And, you know, there has been some chatter, starting with us, I think, in in our recap of Game 1, that... Whiteside might be better off when Joel Embiid, if and when Joel Embiid returns to the court for the Sixers. Um, Embiid, obviously somebody who can shoot the ball from three-point range. He also averages almost 10 post-ups per game. So I think having Embiid on the court for the Sixers would slow the pace down enough where Whiteside might be able to play. But so far, he's been he's been ran off the court by the Sixers. What does Whiteside, if anything, what does Whiteside have to do to stay on the court against this team? Well, I think that uh, we saw, you know, some flashes from him in game two, to be honest with you. I think uh, the stories coming out um, from from Philadelphia where that Spolstra has been very encouraging. And, and that's a big part of something that gets overlooked as far as Spolstra's effectiveness is that he's trying to get everybody to play together, that he's trying to keep everybody engaged. That's always a challenge for a guy like Whiteside. But he's been very encouraging. And Whiteside has gone on record as saying how – that that you know that opinion means so much to him. It's the only opinion that he count, that counts for him. That's something that Whiteside said. I'm paraphrasing there, but basically, Spolstra has liked his effort. That even though he recognizes that he only played 50 minutes, one because of foul trouble, and two because of Philadelphia's lineups that render Whiteside mostly ineffective. Um, you know, he liked what he saw from him in those 15 minutes. Uh, I think the last play in a story from Anthony Chang. I think indicated something along the lines of he picked up a foul trying to pressure Ben Simmons. And and then as Whiteside was coming off the court, um, Spolstra was like, oh, he, he said to Spolstra, I, I messed up or something to that effect. And, and, and Spolstra said, no, 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 I love that effort. Don't worry about that. That's the kind of effort we need. I'm okay with that. And although he didn't wind up playing him again, um, again, still appreciative of the things that Whiteside could do. So I, I think there's moments there, there's opportunities for him and that Spolster himself said that he was he wanted to bring Whiteside back later on the game. And I I, I kind of started thinking that myself, that maybe late in the fourth quarter, as Philadelphia was inching their way back and closing that uh, big lead that Miami had, had been able to build, um, I, I think that Whiteside might have been able to kind of slow things down, maybe control the tempo a little bit as Philadelphia was trying to, you know, uh, drive to the basket, maybe having Whiteside out there would have been able to, to slow things down a little bit in, in Miami's favor. So I, I think there's opportunities for him to, to not necessarily thrive, but just be more effective in limited minutes. I just don't buy it. I don't <laughs> buy it. Like if, if Spolster really appreciated the effort and what Whiteside could do, he wouldn't have played him only 15 minutes. Like I just, I don't buy it. Like maybe he was close to subbing in Whiteside a couple different times, but ultimately he didn't. 
And yeah, he put some pressure. He tried to put a pre- pressure on Ben Simmons going out the perimeter, but that's never been his game. He just, he can't do it. It's just not something that at six foot 11, 265 pounds, Whiteside can do. It's just not his game. And I don't think that's necessarily an indictment on him as a basketball player. I think Whiteside is good at the things that he is good at, but I just don't know if he has a place in this series, even if Joel Embiid comes back in. I almost, I almost say that you're better off just doubling Embiid when he when he starts to post up and otherwise if he's going to be out on the perimeter it doesn't matter how big he is you know it's just if he's just going to shoot a three so I'm fine with putting Olenek or Bam or even a James Johnson against up against him on the perimeter ah okay well that that, that was the point I wanted to bring up because what I was mentioning in game one was if Spolster finds a way to counter Embiid's efficiency and impact by having James Johnson in at center like is that something that is would work I'm, I'm curious I'm not sure how I think I think James would be up for the challenge, obviously. Um, and I think seeing how Winslow was able to limit, you know, it depends on the, the lineup that's out there. I mean, if they go very big with like Sharch and Eliasova and Simmons and Embiid, that would be disastrous. I don't think that you could see that. But let's say if there's the right combination of players out there for Philadelphia, if Miami could have James Johnson kind of matching up with Embiid, and that might be something that would tilt in Miami's favor. Do you think that would work? Yeah, I think Olenek could do a fine job against Embiid as long as Embiid didn't just start no, going to the post like crazy. Johnson. James oh, James Johnson. Johnson. I'm sorry. Yeah, I think James Johnson could do a, a decent job on on Embiid because he can jump out to the perimeter, and when the Sixers start using Embiid in picks, he's able to sort of blitz and maybe you know and, and trap the ball handler, whether it be Ben Simmons or whoever else. He could do that in a more effective way than Whiteside can, and Embiid is just faster and more athletic. Than Whiteside, and so if they start using if they start using and beating those perimeter screen and rolls like those high pick and rolls with Simmons, he's going to roll to the basket. And if you're trying to trap Simmons the way that Miami has been trying to do so far, as far as just applying the pressure to Simmons, not making things easy for him, not letting him get downhill going towards the basket, then Whiteside's got to be able to step out and trap, and then get back and help against against Embiid. And I just don't think he's got the speed to do it. I mean, he was blown by. Dario Saric didn't. Who did he block in game two? Was it Saric? Uh, I think it so. Was Saric or Ilyasova, one of them. They they started going to the rim on on a roll, and Whiteside came from behind and blocked the shot, and everybody made a big hoopla over it. But I was like, he got beat, and the like, great, he got the block, but he got beat, and a lot of times he's getting beat and not getting the block, and and that's what concerns me there. I just don't know. If Whiteside's going to work, I think James Johnson could work on it because, again, he could corral those those guys on the trap. He can – and then get back and help on Joel Embiid, maybe front him in the post. I mean, he's not going to get in front of Embiid and stop him from posting up, but you can double from there. You could slow him down a little bit and get the double team and, and be more effective that way. The only reason I would say James Johnson's not going to play at center is the same reason Spolster has kind of sort of strayed away from that all season long is because Olenek has been so good as a small ball center. I mean, they could basically get into their small ball – offense with Olenek at center because he's mobile and can handle the ball and can facilitate so much. Uh, so I think Olenek can start, can do the same thing. I would almost say Olenek and James Johnson in that front court could be effective. Um, just as much as having like James Johnson and maybe justice Winslow in the front court. Uh, you could play all three of those guys at the same time and have that sort of small ball feel to it. And Olenek has been better defensively than people have been giving him credit for in the first two games. I, I think he'd get roasted by Embiid to be honest with you. 
I just don't see. I mean, most people do. Most people do. I just don't. I don't see a I way do. of Olenek being able to match. He doesn't have the strength to match up. He doesn't have the speed. I mean, at least Whiteside has one of those things in his favor. Um, Olenek is yeah. outclassed on both ends. I just, I, I, the one thing in what that that you could say for Whiteside is that he he won the last time those two guys played. He won that matchup, and and he definitely brings a, a certain intensity and a fire to the game. When Embiid's on the court, and for whatever reason, he can't do that when Embiid's not there. Or, really, I just think it's the 76ers play so much faster when Embiid's not on the court. So if the, if it slows down a little bit more, maybe Whiteside can get involved. We'll have to see. I mean, that's we'll have to see. Um, we won't know until then. But let's let's talk about some of these other things that happened in Game Two. Uh, the Heat started picking up Simmons at full court. I thought that was a really good adjustment by them. Uh, but offensively, the Heat set really really good screens, and you talked about what I talked about after game one about maybe playing Goran Dragic off the ball a little bit more. Instead, the Heat doubled down on screen setting and compared in game one, they had nine screen assists in game two, they had 11, which is right at their season average. So just two more screen assists doesn't sound like a lot, but it is over the course of one single game. And, and to get there, you have to set a lot of like a lot more than two uh, of better screens. And I thought that the screen setting game was really strong, particularly by James Johnson, Kelly Olenek, and even Bam Adebayo when he was on the floor for the little bit that he was on the floor. Um, what did you think about that in, in game two? Yeah, I mean, I, I liked what I saw mostly. I, I guess I wasn't really paying as much attention to it as far as its overall impact, but I, I did notice some really nice screens overall. And I, I think obviously it is a big factor. Um, I'm not sure if it necessarily changed Miami's offense for the better, I, a lot of it seemed mostly, you know, again, uh, hero ball from Dwayne Wade. Uh, but again, that might be a, a, a limited perspective on my part, I'll be honest with you. Dragic did have 20 points on 8 of 14 shooting. I mean, he was much more effective in Game 2 than Game 1. I thought it really helped him um, find more space offensively. And, and we know that Dragic thrives in space. And I thought that was important. Um, anything that you're looking forward to in, in Game 3 that the Heat need to pay attention to? I would say just... Uh... Oh, wow. Something that they need to look forward to in game three. Uh, Can I go first? Go for it. <laughs> uh, they got to cut down on these turnovers. They really do. Um, they, they've turned the ball over more than Philadelphia in the first two games. Maybe that changes when they're playing at home in a more familiar atmosphere. I don't know. But, uh, you know, Philadelphia scored 20-plus points off of turnovers in game one, 17 uh, points off of turnovers – or, I'm sorry, 11 points off of turnovers in game two – uh, so not not as much, but Miami gave up too many possessions. They still had uh, 82 field goal attempts compared to Philadelphia's 96. I really want to start again. I mean, I think they are going to shoot better from three-point range, and if and when that happens, um, I, just like in game one, that shot attempts discrepancy can really start – that could come back to bite Miami. That's fair. Um, on my end, I, and maybe it's just more um, hard to quantify, but I think understanding – that momentum could shift very easily and that they have to make the most of this opportunity coming back after a win, coming back home with several days of rest. If Embiid is out, they still have to be able to play at a high level. Even if Embiid comes back, either way, they have to figure it out. I, I, that was what I one of my biggest takeaways from game two it was that they continue to play through things. They continue to understand um, the, the course of the game and how it was tilting in one favor or the other. Something they weren't able to do in, in game one. I think they didn't, you know, they weren't quite understanding of the moment and the flow of the game as it was shifting back and forth. And then eventually in that in that third quarter, obviously they let things get away from them. So I'm hoping that in game three, 
We'll see Miami control that a little bit better, understand it a little bit more, uh, and do what's necessary to pull out a win, to be honest with you. I, 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 you're, you're, the foul calls are going to be a problem because I think Bellinelli and Reddick both thrive coming off screens, looking for contact, something that Wayne Ellington does not do. Uh, and mm. so I, I think you have to think about that and, and, and kind of just forget about it, play through it, do your best, and hope that things work out as best as you can. Yeah, and uh, and again, the biggest thing there is going to be if Embiid comes back, he can change the entire atmosphere of this series. Uh, but we'll wait and see if that happens. Uh, but that's all we have for today. We'll be back tomorrow. You can send mailbag questions and ask about advertising on the show by sending an email to LockedOnHeat at gmail.com. Tweet your questions and comments for our recaps using the hashtag AskLOHeat and support the show by visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com slash LockedOnHeat. Music is courtesy of Mojave Wild. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for joining me, David. You got it, Wes. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.